What's up everyone, my name is Jonathan here at The Venue RX and on this show we are passionate about documenting and sharing best practices for owning, operating, managing, building, running, right? Uh, world's, the world's best wedding venues. And I'm excited about the topic we are gonna be discussing today because it is one that is really the meat and potatoes, I would say, of uh, running your venue. And it's one of the things that I think venue owners specifically think about quickest you know, as you're calculating and even doing some back of the napkin, you know, calculations for, okay, how much is this gonna cost and how much is this gonna make me? And so we are going to be talking about pricing and we're gonna be talking about sales. And, you know, this is such a lifeblood piece of uh, our, all of our businesses. And I know that as we start, you know, going through the building process and the permitting process and um, wherever we're at in that building process, if you are brand new to this space or if you are an existing venue owner, you know, and you have this whole thing already built, but you want to reevaluate and you want to understand like, where am I at in the market currently? This topic is going to be for you. And so I am really pumped to have Sam Jacobson from ID Action Consulting with me here today. Sam, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, happy to be here, Jonathan. You're listening to the Venue RX podcast. Well, as I dove through your website, there is so much incredible content there. I mean, you guys do copywriting and consulting and coaching and so much different stuff. And we're going to have the links to that in, in the descriptions everywhere that this is going to be posted. Uh, but could you give me a little bit of an origin story as to how you got started in this. And I mean, you mentioned some stuff right even before we got started that I was kicking myself for not having the recording going, but like, what, how did you get into this industry? You know, I think like most people, I kind of fell into it. Uh, I think you and I share a restaurant background yep. and you know, I, I got into, uh, my first job was at the water wheel restaurant in holiday Inn, Portland South in, uh, uh, you know, off the freeway near a truck stop. I was a bus boy and room server at the age of 16. And I would like go to work and make like 30, 40 bucks. And it, it, at the time it was big money paid for my gas, paid for dates with my girlfriend. And then I eventually started waiting tables and I, wor I worked through fabulous restaurants like the Olive Garden and, and I made my way further north uh, onto San Juan Island. I had gone up there at, as a uh, recent graduate of college and wanted to make some money at this, this resort that catered to wealthy uh, yacht owners. And uh, I, I ended up coming back there a couple years later, but I went in as a restaurant manager. Fast forward three years and the GM of the property comes in and says, hey, Sam, guess what? You're our new event manager. And I said, what do you mean, Brent? And he said, well, the previous event manager had to leave on short notice for a family emergency and we need somebody to jump in and, and run the day to day. And I said, great, when do I start? He said, right now, you've got a ceremony rehearsal in two hours, get ready. So wow. it was baptism by fire. And that was in 2006, I'm telling you, I got in there and I was like, this is way better than restaurants. There's so much more going on. It's so much more creative and there's so much more opportunity for me to learn. So I ended up working at that property for eight years. It's always connected to the venue. I eventually got promoted to lodging director later that, that year. And I sold and or operated the venue for this property for the duration of, of those eight years. And after that, I decided I need a bigger challenge. So I went to one of the biggest planning design decor companies in Texas. And I worked as a director of operations for uh, Todd Events at that outfit. And then eventually 
I decided I need an even bigger challenge and I wanted to help more people, not just one boss at a time, but a lot of bosses. So I opened up ID Action Consulting so that I could work with solopreneurs, uh, venue owners, hospitality operations to help make them more money and make their jobs more enjoyable. That is an incredible amount of experience. And I love that you started in the restaurant space because that is, like you said, we do share that. And that's a space that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, I think you learn a lot very quickly about um, customer service and about reading tables and situational awareness and things like that um, that you can definitely apply over to events. But speaking on the events and the venue side specifically, I mean, we're a podcast all you know, focused towards venue owners, focused towards venue operators. Um, have you actually sold weddings yourself? Are you, you know, have you, it sounds like you were uh, involved in running them. You were the director of operations. Were you in, in sales for a great period of that time as well? Um, what's your experience there? Yeah, so I am one of the rare business coaches, at least that I know of in the wedding industry, that's actually sold directly to couples. And so I sold at the venue from 2006 until 2014. So eight years altogether. Uh, we were a pretty unique hybrid of high volume, but also premium buyer. And so we, we serviced largely wealthy boat owners, uh, but also uh, we were a premier destination in the Northwest. So I worked directly with couples. I would do everything from field the inquiries to pre-qualify, to do site tours and go through and close the deal. I've also operated uh, as the service manager to do in-house catering and ensure that the banquets go according to plan. So everything related to venue, in-house catering, selling, marketing, operating, I've done it for eight years. That's huge. And now as a consultant, as someone who's coming in and kind of helping people get their businesses tuned up, I'm curious, have you seen a shift in the time that you've been in the industry on how couples are inquiring and your process for pre-qualifying couples? There's a lot more work that's done online ahead of time. That's, that's really been the change over the last 16 years. It used to be that People, you know, would would inquire. Yes, it, there were phones, not quite as old as faxes, but there were a lot of phone calls still back then. Uh, uh, but but there were still a lot of emails. I think what's changed since say 2006 and 2022 is that there's a lot more work done ahead of the initial inquiry on behalf of the couple. And so the couple is doing a lot of window shopping before they actually reach out, and certainly before they're willing to take the time to make a visit. Everybody who's getting married today is super busy and they don't have time to just go and tour around all the different venues that, you know, they see online. Instead, what they're doing is they're doing a lot more research. They're looking at websites ahead of time and they're trying to get a better understanding of what they're getting into before they actually take the risk of making a phone call or, 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 or at least getting on the phone or making a site visit. So websites are hugely important. That's one of the reasons why uh, three years ago, we shifted knowing that we want to book more business for our clients from just doing sales and pricing discussion to actually doing the copywriting because so much work was being done on the website to book business rather than in person or, or over the phone. Well, and I love that you brought that up because I, I was going to ask, like my next question was, what do you feel like as you work with business owners, what do you feel like competitive advantages are uh, for, you know, let's say you're working with two different venue owners side by side. Um, what are some competitive advantages that you see now with these shifts in the market where 
now people do come with a lot of information. It's almost like the car, the car industry. Like you said that, and I immediately thought of like now people are on their phones. Like they kind of know a rough estimate of the pricing. There's all these other options other than just kind of the traditional dealership model. Um, what is what are some competitive advantages that venue owners can, in a general way, position themselves to more accurately serve this more well-educated buyer? Yeah, so the first thing is dump your better product strategy. And by that, I mean, you have to get out of the mindset that you're selling a venue. My, my wife uh, and business partner, Katie, she worked at Four Seasons for 14 years as a director of catering and, and eight years before that for various luxury properties. So between the two of us, we had literally three decades of sales experience at, at weddings, at, at wedding venues. And I remember we used to talk early on about how venue owners make a general mistake of thinking that they're selling four walls, a floor and a ceiling. That's not what you're selling. What you're selling is an opportunity for the families to come together and to celebrate traditions and to form new ones and to create memories they can look back on for a lifetime. So as soon as you get away as a venue owner thinking that you're selling a space and that it's all about dates, rates and spaces, if you get out of that mindset and start connecting with the couple, what they want and need most, and then tailor what it is that you're messaging to them around that, that is going to be the biggest competitive advantage that you can have. That's powerful. That's really powerful. How do you feel like a sales team? Because I think a lot of owner operators might be listening to this and might, I guess, sell their venue with that passion because they understand that they are really selling this experience. And they're there, they're going to be boots on the ground, making sure that you know, they, they deliver the best experience possible. But what happens when you start getting into a situation where you have a sales team, maybe even you have multiple venue locations, and now you have to inspire a sales team to sell more than just like a, a product like you were saying yeah i think the key is to imagine dumping the brochure that you have and i know you venue owners have a ton of pdfs like first things first you got to get rid of that stuff put it on your website if you're sharing the same information over and over again especially as you get later into the buying journey like emails and, and whatnot you should probably have all of that pamphlet brochure type information online accessible ready for the couple to read at any point. And also for the people who are probably bankrolling the, the wedding, the, the parents or, or whomever it may be. So it's really important to get out of the mindset that you are you know, sharing product information. And instead, focus your time in the sales process on discovering what it is that your clients or potential clients want and need the most. So get out of the mindset of talking at people and instead try to listen the information that you need out of them so you can then present the right information at the right time during the buying, buying process. That's huge. Do you feel like the, so you said putting all that stuff online, like all the PDFs and all that stuff. I'm assuming based on that statement that you're a proponent of putting your pricing on your website? A little bit. Yes, a okay. little bit. So, Walk me through that. So, yeah. So first of all, you always, whenever you're doing anything in business, you want to start with the end in mind. What's the goal? And, and, and eventually you get down to what your goal is. I find that there's typically two goals that a, a wedding business owner has, a venue or otherwise. They either want to book more clients or they want to book better clients. Obviously, the holy grail is to book more better clients, but, but typically you're either trying to fill your calendar with as many dates as possible, or you are already full with the number of dates that you can fill on your calendar with your venue. And so now you're trying to increase your price. And so as you're going through and you're thinking about any kind of pricing strategy or pricing structure, you want to begin with that end in mind. Are we trying to sell more dates? Are we trying to sell a higher volume of dates? Or are we trying to sell each date for a higher price point? And so 
you're going to have different strategy depending on what you're going to what you're hoping for different strategy for your website let's let's take the first one so if you want to have more dates filled you want to have less pricing information up front because as a general rule the more people that you correspond with and and zoom with and tour with the more people you are going to book if you are anything close to a reasonably decent salesperson so more more opportunities to talk with people is going to equal more conversions but that doesn't work if you're doing a high number of, of, of dates already. If you're trying to, to pre-qualify and to screen out price shoppers or people who may not be able to afford you if you're on the higher end of your market spectrum, then what you're gonna try and do is put more pricing information up front. And so different strategies will get you different outcomes. I would recommend that most people put their starting at price on the website. And, and I recommend that because you don't want to waste your time and you don't want to waste their time with, with numbers that don't work in the very beginning. So, you know, if you're, and we can, I'm sure we'll get into dynamic pricing, but as we, if we start talking about how to price your venue, you're going to look at what is, you know, a, a good number that, that you feel confident putting out there that says, look, to get your foot in the door with our business, you're going to have to spend X dollars. That number should go on your website, typically on your services page. If you're still getting a bunch of people who are inquiring that are not qualified to pay that amount of money, uh, then you want to put on your contact page, not your not in your contact form, but on your contact page. Um, and then the next step would be to put it in your inquiry response and say, hey, you know, glad you reached out, super excited to talk to you. Please be aware that we typically work with clients who spent X number of dollars and above. So uh, th those are three different places you can put it in the buyer's journey from services page to contact page to inquiry response. That makes a lot of sense. Do you feel like there has been a shift at all in the information that the buyer is aware of as far as pricing goes? The difference being between the blank canvas type of venues that are just selling space access or the all-inclusive venues. And I'm asking this almost more of a selfish question because I know we operate primarily blank canvas venues and so there might be a pricing question in an inquiry form or we might talk about that and some people come along and they're just like, um, you know, $40,000. Let's say they're not saying for, we're like, okay, we understand, like we know because we're professionals in this industry, we know they're talking about the whole entire, you know, kit and caboodle for their wedding. Right. But what, what do you see as far as people coming in and being aware of what number they're looking at and how that relates to what they feel like they're getting, you know, whether it's a, a all inclusive or a, just a blank canvas and kind of a starting point. So I want to talk about two things, absolute value versus relative value, and then also different stages of awareness. And I'm glad to use the word aware because I'm going to come back to that. So first off, there's no absolute price for anything. It's only relative to what they see elsewhere and compare in value elsewhere. So, you know, I've, I've got this microphone in front of me. Like if I tell you, hey, how much would you pay for this, Jonathan? Well, it's hard for you to know without taking the, the product features and comparing it to another product that has similar or dissimilar features and you associate value based on the benefits you receive from those features to then come up with a price that equals the value proposition that you're willing to pay for, right? Like that's in a nutshell how it is that people are, are, are doing this uh, this, this decision making. And so when you go through and you think about yeah, and let me let me just interject there. So that's interesting, though, because when I see that that microphone, I know because I have a little bit of a background with microphones and I did some product reviews and things like that. Like that's a Yeti and you probably have the black. Is that the black edition? 
Correct. Yeah, so I, that's probably around $300. It's in the $300, $350 range. So, something like something that. Yeah, there. Something like that. So, but yeah. I, would, I might know that because, and that's probably not exact, maybe I got that wrong, but I might know that because I have some contextual information. And so I'm curious if you find the buyer is now, since the buyer is more aware that they are now, they now have the contextual information to to have a more accurate understanding of what it's gonna cost them versus maybe back in the day when they didn't have all that information, they had to like go tour a bunch of different places and it was maybe harder to get that awareness of what the kind of baseline cost was gonna be. So I think that there's really not much difference in how much people know when they first start out versus after learning a little bit by looking at some, some you know pricing guides or proposals, whether it was 15 years ago or, or 15 days ago, people, humans still go through the same decision-making process, the same buyer's journey. And this is the second thing that I wanted to talk about. And this goes back to a guy named Eugene Schwartz who wrote about uh, the five stages of awareness in a book called Breakthrough Advertising, which is taught to anybody who's going through marketing programs. You have these five main stages of awareness, unaware, problem aware, solution aware, product aware, and most aware. And, and what you as a, as a marketer or a salesperson are trying to do are to move people from one stage of awareness to the next. There's a little bit of work on the level of intent to purchase that you want to do, but basically what you're trying to do at every interaction is to identify where are they in the buyer's journey? What stage of awareness are they at? How much intent to purchase do they have? And then you are taking information and you are distilling it and directing it to that buyer at that moment in time with that understanding of whatever it is that you do. So in the very early stages of an inquiry, the very first thing that you're trying to do is to determine what stage of awareness are they in? Are they completely unaware? Do they not have any idea what it is they're looking for in a venue? Do they, do they not even know what they need? probably that's where all people start. Then eventually they're going to go through and they're going to think, okay, what kind of needs do I have in a venue? Do we, do we need, you know, indoor or outdoor or both? Do we need in-house catering? Do we need service? Do we, do we have a, a, a low budget? And so do we need to, you know, kind of BYOB the beverage? Like they're figuring out what do we need? And, and that's, that's a little bit of a learning situation because they don't know what they don't know. So they inquire, they find out what they don't know, and now they know. And then they do that over and over and over again where you're at in that process, who knows? You could be on the front end where they know nothing, or you could be on the back end where they start to know much more. Maybe they've never even toured a property or maybe they've toured 15. What your job is as a salesperson is to identify where are they at in the buyer's journey so that you can then target information to them. If, like you know, you know what this is because you're what's called product aware, you know, right? But before you ever looked at mics, you didn't know what the difference was between this mic and a podcast mic and a lapel mic and some other mic and so as you get in and you learn more you you move from problem aware to so, here are the different solutions that are out there and then you're actually comparing the products and the features of the product side by side by side so that you can distinguish which one is going to meet your needs and how much is that worth to you do you feel like it's shortened like the amount of time, because before it might be the time to become product aware has took a little bit longer and now it's a little bit quicker because they can fill out all the inquiries and all the information comes back. And so now you get that. So now people are just going from looking at, you know, five venues to now they quickly narrow down their top two. Are you seeing that buyer behavior? I think that people in general and venues are just as guilty of this as 
any other wedding pro don't put the right kind of information on their website. And so, you know, the difference between what happened 10 years ago and, and 10 days ago is really about technological advance, right? And so I think in some ways, things like social media have made people more excited, but less understanding of what it is that they're doing. And so, you know, they see a beautiful photo, they watch a film, whatever it may be, and they're like, oh, wow, I want to inquire in that place. And they DM. They don't even, they don't even give any thought to researching what what it, what it is that they're looking at. They're just like, how much does it cost and are you available? And, and those, those are just really low aware uh, uh, buyers. But the more information you have for somebody who is really unaware or problem aware, specifically as a venue owner, because you're so far upstream in the decision-making of, of all things wedding at that point, you really wanna target information for them that's gonna touch on that unaware and problem aware need that they have. I think what most venue owners do is they put a bunch of, of uh, product information on there. Here's here are the menus that we that we serve. Here are the layouts that we have. Here here's a bullet point list of all of the rentals that we include. Those guys aren't ready for that yet. They're just trying to figure out, do you host non-denominational religious ceremonies at your venue? Uh, what's your like, do you have a backup plan because the dates you're looking for are in the spring when it rains a lot? And so if you can instead help through your, your website, social media, you know, blog, newsletter, whatever it is that you do, that early stage marketing top of funnel information that you're sharing should really be targeting at helping people identify what they want and need from a venue. If you're doing that, you're going to move people through that process faster. But if you start giving people product information, specific pricing information, lists of rental equipment that you include, that all means nothing because it doesn't fill a hole that they've yet identified in their needs list. Wow, that is, that is super, super powerful. I'm gonna be going back and listening to this again because I need to unpack that even for what we do. I feel like we do send out a lot of that information um, and that's totally huge. You talk, talked about social media. What, what place does social media take in this whole sales process? How do you see it being effective uh, as a tool for salespeople at venues? So I look at social media as a, a really effective tool in two different parts of the buyer's journey, early stage and late stage. So early stage is great so that they can get an understanding of, you know, uh, what it is that goes on at your event, the kinds of people that they work with. When people are unaware of what they want and need, they look to others to see what it is that they want to need. So one of the things that, 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 that we do as a company that I am interested and curious about is behavioral science. I'm actually enrolled in a behavioral economics program at Texas A&M University. I'm, I, it's really the intersection of, of business and marketing and sales, pricing and psychology. And, and so one of the things that, that we know is that people wanna follow what other people do. It's called the hurt effect, social proof. And so if you can use your social media to showcase the kinds of events, the people that you work with, the theme, look, five, decor, whatever it is that you've got going, the kinds of experiences. And people who don't know what they want, they, they, they know what they don't want, and they know what they've seen elsewhere that they want to replicate. So if you can use, you know, some of your social media to create a, oh, I want that, that's how you move people from, I don't know what I want to, I want what they want. And when they get to the, I want what they want stage, they then become curious about what you do to help make that happen. That's the top of funnel early stage social media strategy. On the back end, you want to look at how can you provide value and reassurance. So we know through Neil Rackham studies, 
three decades ago that are still holding true today. Complex decision-making process goes something like this. You want to start in the early stage by identifying needs. In the middle stage, you want to focus on talking about your services to meet those needs. And at the end, the number one criteria for whether somebody moves forward in a complex sales transaction is how much risk do they assume by making the decision to go with you. A very close second is value, not price, but value. How much value will they get? And so what you're really doing at the end through your social media strategy is you're providing what are called risk reversers. So things like social proof through testimonials, you could do, you know, uh, 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 some sort of quote, uh, you could do uh, even better, like a, somebody talking to a camera, talking about how great their experience was on Instagram stories, like sharing that stuff is amazing. You could have planners on and, and talk about how great you are to work with or photographers talk about how beautiful your venue is during spring or fall, whatever shoulder season you want to book. Um, you can also go through and you can provide some behind the scenes to show what it is that you do and break down as much as possible, almost kind of pull it apart to show with every nuance, how much value you provide. What are the things that you do differently and better than other people, or at least differently and better and show them better what on, on your Instagram story? So that could be the time and care and attention to detail, or that could be how you, you are white glove service or concierge level experience or whatever it is that you wanna to do to create that value so that people understand what's happening. You can also do one more thing and that is to create scarcity. Uh, and this is uh, a really helpful, but also could be dangerous uh, sales technique, which is to use scarcity. The idea that something is rare uh, is, is either uh, desirable or more expensive. And so if you can start talking about how dates are filling in fast or like you're doing all of these tours and like, holy cow, we just filled in five dates. It's so great to see spring filling up. You're going to create that that urge, that desire to make the next step and get off of status quo. Got it. That makes total sense. I want to go back to what you said about the kind of before and after or the two phases that you felt like the social media. Um, there was something that was interesting to me in there. One was to kind of show them what other people are enjoying, right? And get them curious about that and you kind of like how, like uh, some curiosity maybe. And then the other portion was allaying any fears that may come as soon as they've gotten past that first step of saying, wow, this is so cool that someone else is enjoying this. I know I want that but whatever is coming after that, but what if this, but what if, what about that and all those different things. Is there a cadence that you feel like people should have when showcasing this um, on their Instagram? Is it like one, one post on one side, one post on the other side, just back and forth flip-flopping or is there some, some method that you've seen work really well? Well, I think it depends on what you're trying to do at the time. Uh, again, begin with the end in mind and then work backwards. And so like, let's say you wanted to book fall weddings and you haven't had any inquiries for fall. And so what do you want to do? You want to gin up some fall business. And so you're going to look at early stage, top of funnel, and you're going to look at featuring fall weddings. Uh, if that's your goal to generate more interest, once you, once you get interest and your pipeline starts to fill up in the front, you could then switch your strategy, your social media strategy to maybe focusing on a different time of the year that you want filled in. And you can also focus on late stage decision-making needs that are more social proof driven or scarcity driven or value building driven. It, it, you, every sales team wants to maintain a balanced pipeline where you have, you know, roughly the same number or the same volume of interest in your early stage or middle stage and your late stage. One of the things that I often see happen with, with venues is that they focus too much on 
the thing that's right in front of them. It could be all the inquiries that they get. And then they follow through those inquiries to site tours. And then they spend all their time trying to figure out how can I close these deals? But they're ignoring developing new people to come into the pipeline that they'll want to work with in the next two to four weeks. So I think that mixing up a social media strategy or any kind of marketing strategy is going to be the most helpful way so that you maintain that balanced pipeline. Hmm. We've talked a couple of times or a couple of different points here about pricing and you know you mentioned dynamic pricing uh i'm curious you haven't i didn't hear you immediately say anything like well look you know look who's in your market and kind of you know be somewhere in between there and i think maybe that's some place that venue owners or people who are hopeful venue owners go to they say okay what are the six surrounding properties doing you know how close am i going to be to those let me kind of be somewhere in the middle so that i can be be competitive um, what is your your mentality around pricing like how should a new venue specifically create the pricing that they are either showcasing on their website or you know providing that starting line that you were mentioning earlier as they began the sales process so I'll, and I'll start by saying there are lots of different ways to do pricing. There are a ton of different strategies. Again, begin with what you want to see accomplished and then you can work backwards. Uh, there are a couple of different pricing strategies that I typically see. One is going to be a, a penetration pricing strategy, which is somebody who's new on the market. You're going to you're going to want to penetrate the market. You want to get a foothold in there. You're going to want to figure a way to build your portfolio, to work out the operational kinks, to get repetitions with inquiries and site tours, to uh, gain testimonials and social proof, to build up a portfolio, to work with new vendors. And so volume is really the name of the game. The faster you can get more events on the books, the faster you'll work through that, that you know, er, uh, early business stage. However, I think most people then move into this kind of juicy middle, which is going to be the competitive pricing strategy. And that's going to be where you really want to make sure that you're kind of in the middle of your comp set, your competition, but also your comparable venues and, and make sure that you're not too high or too low. I'm, you know, I think you can be a little bit above or a little bit below, you know, wherever, or you can be right in the middle, but you want to really keep in mind who it is that you're being compared with and make sure that you're not either extraordinarily low or extraordinarily high. There's something that, that takes effect. It's called the price quality effect. When people see a really low price compared to the others, they think something's wrong with that. There's low quality associated with it. When they, however, when they see a high price compared to the others, they think, oh, that must be that much better. And, and that's just how humans go with their gut. Like you're a restaurant guy. If you were working at a restaurant and you wanted to have, you know, you wanted to sell a $12 bottle of, uh, or $12 glass of Chardonnay on the beverage menu, you would have a $9 glass, a $12 glass and a $16 glass. And, you know, t chances are 70% of the time, people are gonna choose that middle option at 12 bucks. So it's very helpful as a competitive pricing strategy to make sure that you are really in that juicy middle because, you know, Statistically speaking, two thirds of the people are going to choose that that middle. However, if you are full on dates already and and you you're a seasoned business, you've you've been around for however many years, and your Saturdays during peak season are full, you're even kind of filling in on your shoulder season and shoulder days of the week. You might want to start implementing a premium pricing strategy where you're intentionally coming in higher than the comp set to make the most of the dates that you have. Hard to say which one is going to work best for all businesses. It's really something that's going to be specific to where you're at. And it could be season to season. Sometimes you, you could be busier than usual and other times you could be slower and you might have to switch back from one strategy to the next. Is there a way to leverage that pricing strategy within 
your own venue? Because it sounds like you're talking about the pricing in context of the market. Is there a way to have that same exact strategy to provide the contrast between a lower priced option, a premium package that you might offer? Um, maybe even if you're a blank canvas venue, it offering some inclusive feeling options. But again, is there a way to leverage the psychology behind that in, inside the venue that you have, not just as the market as a whole? Thousand percent. A thousand percent. In fact, it's one of the best ways to not just book more dates, but to get more per date. And, and I have extensive experience with this. Not only was I the events manager for a number of years and did the event sales, but I was also the lodging director and we had 80 rooms. We did 10,000 room nights a year and I did that for eight years. We had everything from a historic shared bath accommodation at 80 bucks a night during our slow season to a three bedroom home with an elevator and a rooftop terrace at thousand dollars a night during our peak season. And that meant that I had to understand revenue management principles. And so I went to school, I audited courses and read books that were used textbooks for revenue management programs. And then I took that and applied it to what I was doing with the venue. If it works for rooms, why wouldn't it work for a room with a wedding in it? And so I would use the same revenue management principles. It's called dynamic pricing or active yield management that airlines do and hotels use and uh, parking lots use and movie theaters and toll roads. And that's basically this. If you have a fixed supply but a fluctuating demand, you are, you are absolutely primed to use this dynamic pricing model. And so as, as demand goes up for a fixed supply, you want to increase the prices. As demand goes down for a fixed supply, you want to lower the prices to get more people in there. Now, venues are, are, are primed for success with this because venues typically have low operating costs and the seasonal nature is there and you can do something about it by actually moving a date that somebody has in mind. So I, when I was selling venues, I, I ran a calendar with five different seasons on it. So, you know, low season, uh, you know, to peak season, super peak season. And I looked at, just like I did for hotel rooms, what we had done previously as a historical model on those dates. And I would look at an occupancy percentage of those dates that would then have been full historically. The higher occupancy percentage we have, the higher I jacked up the rates. The lower the occupancy percentage, the lower I, lower the, the lower I would put the rates. So let's say you're full on Saturdays. I would recommend having a higher rate for Saturdays, higher than you charged in the year that you were full. And, and, and that would certainly be higher than say a Tuesday during low season. So there's any range of numbers that you can put in the middle, but you should probably have three, four, maybe even five different seasons on your, on your calendar with different prices associated with the seasons. Now, I would recommend keeping everything the same as far as a service level. What, you know, whatever it is that you offer with your venue, you know, we offered, uh, you know, setup and breakdown of the ceremony and the reception, you know, tables, chairs, linens, china, glass, silver, staffing, heaters, fuel, cake cutting, dancing, all that was rolled into one. That was our venue fee. And, and then we charged food per person, beverage guys, consumption, service fee and tax. And so that venue fee, that's what fluctuated up and down. The, the food menu, always the same. The bar menu, always the same. Service fee, always the same. Tax, always the same. The, the inclusions in the venue, always the same. But the price went up and down based on demand. Just like if you were to go and buy a, 
airplane ticket during busy season to Hawaii, it's going to be way more expensive than, you know, trying to fly to Orlando right now with a hurricane impending. Yeah. I, I actually rent my car, one of my cars out on Turo. And I actually specifically purchased the car to rent it out on Turo. And I've noticed when you click the automatic pricing button, they do an automatic price fluctuation. It is, they utilize that dynamic pricing. So that's huge. When you're talking about dynamic pricing though for venues, I've seen a lot of venues that typically have two seasons, right? They'll say a high season and a low season. And they'll have those pricing uh, differences. It sounds like you're talking about having a bit more you know, when you're saying dynamic, it's, it's not just two, it's three, four, up to five, you said. What is yeah. the difference in price? Are you adjusting the price by 20 bucks? Mm. You know, 200, 500 bucks? Like, what is the price adjustment when you say higher or a little bit lower based on, uh, based on the interest level? So one of the things, like, let's just look at, say you had three, I would recommend no less than three options uh, because you want to use three for um, what's called the compromise effect, uh, where, uh, you know, if, if we had three microphones that we had no labels on them, but they had a price underneath them and you didn't know any features, all you knew was the price. The studies have shown that about 25% of the people will choose the cheaper one, 70% will choose the middle option, 5% will choose the highest. Now, even though people aren't choosing the highest option, it's really important to make sure that you have that there because it operates as what's called an anchor. So in pricing strategy and tactics, an anchor is really important because we know that when you first put out something, that is the anchor. And then everything is compared to that number. So if I tell you that, uh, I don't know, uh, tickets to Hawaii are $1,000, but we're offering them at $600 on Tuesdays, you're like, wow, I'm saving $400. That's awesome. But if I tell you that tickets are typically $600 to Hawaii, but on this date that you're looking at, they're $1,000, you're like, I'm paying $400 or 67% more. That sucks. What can I do for $600? So as a venue, what we want to make sure that we're doing is that we're using anchors effectively. And one of the most effective ways to use an anchor is to deter people from choosing only the peak dates and instead look at the shoulder season or second tier dates as the ones that they're going to look at. And that's really going to be Saturdays during not your very busiest months and also Fridays and Sundays during your very busiest months. I would recommend that pretty much every single venue owner out there who's listening to this what you should be focused on is how can I book more Fridays and Sundays during peak season and Saturdays during shoulder season. Don't worry about trying to get any dates at all when it's either super hot or really cold or there's just no demand for whatever reason in your local market. But what you really want to focus on is how can I grow the business when the weather is the best. That's a Friday and Sunday, not just the Saturdays. And then how can I take advantage of the most desirable day of the week, Saturday, in the kind of desirable shoulder seasons. That's where growth will come from. So if you can have a peak, a shoulder and a low season, you can then use that peak Saturday as the anchor so that the shoulder Fridays and Sundays or shoulder Saturdays look that much more appealing because they look affordable compared to the peak date. That is huge. Sam, this is, this is awesome. This is such a meaty podcast and show. And I, I, I really appreciate you sharing all this because, you know, this is, like I said in the beginning, like this is the meat and potatoes of this. Like this is what, what I think people come to, 
to do. They have a venue because they feel like there's uh, some passion behind it, certainly, but there's some money to be made. You know, there's a way to leverage the real estate they have and different things like that. And so um, I, I love this. This is super powerful. And I feel like we could go on and on. I have one more question to kind of wrap this up. Um, when you're talking about the different, the different ways to break up the pricing, the different seasons, whether it's a shoulder season, um, whether it's an ideal date or not, how are you guiding the couple to maybe choose a different date that's not one of those peak ones? Because you're talking about really kind of directing and influencing those decisions to make sure that you are able to book up those, those shoulder dates. Um, how, how are you doing that? How, what's the, that sales process like to say, hey, I, I know you were thinking about this you know, Saturday in my peak season, but we've got some of these other great dates. Um, how, how are you doing that? How are you providing that adjustment? So this was one of the big breakthroughs that I had. It was in 2007. Uh, I was then married to my first wife and she was Argentine. And we were trying to fly back home with our, our baby and to Argentina to visit the motherland and, and her mother. And so I was looking at booking mileage tickets through American Airlines. And I remember going on to their site and they had I don't know if you remember this or, or if it's the same now or if you ever had an experience with this, they have everything kind of color coded. And it was the darker the color, the more expensive it was, the lighter the color, the less expensive it was. And they basically showed you the whole month that you were looking at, you know, like you click the my dates are flexible button and up pops the calendar and it's a rate calendar. And, and, and I could see what rates were on what dates. And I would go through and I was like, well, you know, we'd been looking at leaving on a Friday, but Thursday's 25% less. Maybe Thursday would be good. Maybe I could take a day off of work and we could leave early. Or, or you know what, why don't we look at like the next week because the rates drop by 40% the next week. I'm more flexible than I imagine now that I see it right there. So I went, I went back to work the next day, probably like four o'clock in the morning. It was early, I was excited. And I went and I created a rate calendar for our venue. And I went through and I took a calendar. I created one on Excel. It was very rudimentary, but it was like a golden goose, Jonathan. It laid so much revenue for us over the next several years. And it still does. I know that the resort's still using it eight years after I left. And, and so what you would do is you would take that, that normal, say, three-season calendar that you have. And if you're like most venue owners, you list it out, low season, mid-season, peak season, or the rates for even worse. This is what I see all the time, and it's so hard to read, especially for the dreamer buyers that are out there that are super visual, is you list out like April 1st through June 30th. The price on the, this day is this much, and this day is another amount. And then you're like, and then on July 1st to September 15th, here's a whole new thing. And it's like literally just listed out. Dump all of that instead. And this is the biggest takeaway. I'm like, this is, this is like a golden goose for your own business if you're listening to this. Create this color-coded calendar that at a glance has your three or four or five seasons. You also create a grayed out color, which is now your booked create scarcity, which we talked about is a late stage, you know, sales tool that you can use. And what you'll do is you will move people on their own. They will move themselves. Everybody's going to come to you with, I want to get married on a Saturday in the peak season. But if you can show that the Saturday in the peak season is twice as much as a Friday, literally one day before it, you get all the same stuff. People are like, you know what? Maybe we could do a Friday wedding. 
Or maybe we could do a Sunday wedding. Or you know what? Maybe we could go a little bit earlier because I see that the Saturday in June is 20% less than the Saturday in July. Maybe, maybe that would give us the extended guest list that we want. Or we could put more money towards the food and beverage. We could host the bar. We could go to some other really great place on our honeymoon instead of, you know, to this regional destination. So I would have people, Jonathan, like this was a game for me when I was selling. I would go through and I'd get somebody who's like, we, you know, my, my lucky number is 24. You know, we met on a Saturday. We got engaged on a Saturday. We definitely want to get married on July 24th because it's like historically the least amount of rain, you know, for, for that, that venue location. That's the only date that we have. They tell me on the inquiry form or, you know, on early stage discovery calls. And then they come out and they tour and I, I go through, I do the whole dog and pony. And then I would give them a rate calendar and I would show them, hey, we have the 24th open, but I just want to let you know, if you're interested in moving to Friday the 23rd or Sunday the 25th, you can probably save three to $6,000 on your overall bill. And that would allow you to get all the things that I, I just learned that you really want, or you could pocket it and use it for a down payment on a home or you know whatever it is that you want to do. And I saw so many people move. I'll end with with this number, how effective it was. The first year that I worked at the resort, we had almost half of our weddings, 15 out of 30 weddings were in the July, August time period. We, we were in the Northwest, we were a regional destination on an island. And so it was, you know, th those are the months that we did, we did events. The last year that I was there, we went from 14 or 15 weddings in July and August to 60 out of 62 dates were filled in July and August because we were using this dynamic pricing model where we had $1,000 was our venue fee because we did in-house catering and we had lodging, but $1,000 for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Fridays and Sundays were like 35 to 5,500, and then Saturdays were $9,500. So we had a really wide spectrum, much wider than what most people are doing. Most people that I know in the venue space are doing like maybe like five to 15, maybe 20% variance between their highest and lowest. Yeah. You get that, yeah. you get that Saturday, $9,500, those, the Friday and Sunday, the day before at 5,500 or 3,500, that looks really cheap now. Yeah. And so what I found is that we were able to move people to whatever date I really wanted to, them to go to. And the ones who wouldn't move, who really did want that Saturday, they were pre-qualified and willing to spend the money. That was amazing because we got top dollar for the date. Yeah, and those dates are so much fewer. So to actually book those dates, like you have the opportunity to book those 30 dates or 22 dates or whatever happens to be for your specific venue. That is so powerful. Sam, thank you so much for sharing this with us. And uh, again, I think we're gonna have to have you come back on the podcast and talk about this uh, more. But if people wanna connect with you, if they wanna hear more about this side or like we didn't even talk about the copywriting stuff uh, that you do and, and you know, there's so much more that your business does, uh, where can people reach you if they wanna connect you directly or your business? Yeah, we, we give away so much free content. It's disgusting. My wife is always telling me like, Sam, we give away so much free stuff. Why is anybody going to pay for our services? The, here's the thing. Go and get the free stuff. It's going to help your business. When you're ready to get the good stuff, you come back and you can inquire with us. All the free stuff is out there on Instagram. 
So ID Action Consulting is a great place to go. Uh, have a podcast that I do called Own Your Business, and you can find it on any of the podcast platforms. We also have a weekly newsletter that I write, and I've done it for six years. We've got a lot of really good content on our website at idactionconsulting.com, or you can subscribe to the newsletter at the bottom of the website with a name and email address. You'll only get great content, super valuable, free tidbits like you received here today. Cool. That's huge. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. And for everyone listening, check out Sam, what he's doing over at ID Action Consulting. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll see you in the next episode.